Welcome to the Songbird Creative Podcast. This podcast is made possible by Songbird Creative, a little bird company providing a community for older adults to explore different forms of artistic expression through writing, storytelling, and spoken word. Each episode will feature original stories, essays, poems, and creative works. Some may be more personal, others more imaginative, but all are filled with humor, inspiration, love, and wisdom. Will you remember all of my stories? Will you This episode will feature a story entitled Tincture of Gall by Erin Anderson, who is a participant in the Senior Theatre Experience, a program by the City of Marquette and Songbird Creative. A recipe from the kitchen of Erin Anderson. This is the best bile recipe I've ever come across, and I've tried many. Ingredients. One carcass of grievance. Not completely picked clean, some meat still left on the bones. One cup of chopped offenses, pungent enough to sting the eyes and wrench the heart. Several sprigs of green slights. Fresh is best, but withered or dried will do. One pinch of black and white thinking. Four cups of unfiltered resentment. Instructions. In a large saucepan, douse the carcass with resentment. Add the offenses and slights. Sprinkle with black and white thinking to taste. Cover. Simmer on a low heat for the next 15 years. Remove from heat, pour through a sieve, store the fluid in a sealed jar in a cold, dark place. Use sparingly. You will find that over the years, it will only take a few drops to spite up any dish, sparking that precious bite of bitterness. Enjoy. The Songbird Creative Podcast is brought to you by Songbird Creative, a little bird company providing unique programming grounded in literary and performing arts for older creatives to strengthen mental fitness and feel encouraged while exploring different forms of artistic expression through writing, storytelling, and spoken word. To learn more, visit songbirdcreativecompany.com or email songbirdcreativecompany at gmail.com. Hi, Erin. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me for this episode. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. How, how humble am I supposed to be here? 
as humble as you want. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to start off with saying um, you've had a pretty interesting life. I'd love if you would share with our listeners a little bit about your experiences and kind of what brought you back into the Upper Peninsula. Oh, okay. So um, I grew up on the west side, the west coast. But as an adult, I was dissatisfied with particularly the Southern California suburbs, which if anybody has ever been out there, they they roll on and on and on for miles and miles without any respite, without any relief. So when I met a man who was who had grown up in the Lower Peninsula, mm-hmm who also wanted to escape the suburbs and we set our house in order and we fled the Southern California suburbs to come to the upper peninsula of Michigan. We had Mm. no friends here, no family here, no jobs here. My ex-husband had grown up in Rochester. Okay. So he had come up to the UP during vacations. And Mm. once when, Mm -hmm. when he and I were camping in Northern California, he looked around at the forest and he said, this is what the UP is like. And I said, okay, let's go there. (laughs) So, um, so you really escaped the suburbs. We absolutely escaped and fled and ran headfirst to the UP. We landed (laughs) in an old, well, it, it wasn't old. It was it was a hunting camp south of Wetmore on a sandy road mm. that his brother had come up and rented for us. But anyway, that's another story. This fly-infested camp. But um, so we stayed. We were married, and we bought a farm in Scandia, and we tried the suburban. We tried the foresty life, and 150 chickens, wow. ten ducks, and. Ten geese later, we got divorced. <laughs> All I, those birds must have done it. <laughs> I know. They, they kicked us out of our marital nest. So um, I was working part-time for Look Realty at the time. So oh, okay. I had the opportunity to see, like, the cheapest basement apartment that came available. And I said, okay, bye. <laughs> I moved into Marquette. But... Um, so ever since that time, the friendships that I made have stuck, and this has always been a place to return to. Mm-hmm. Um, I first ventured abroad teaching English as a second language in the summer of 1993 after I had lived in Marquette for like a year and a half by myself. And then ever since then, I have always come back here. Mm. Um, I've had friends who have just been so hospitable and so gracious. They've got sofas and spare bedrooms. They are my portals because when you leave and you have no revolving credit history and you have nothing, to come back is relatively difficult. So I've had these wonderful friends who've Mm. who've picked me up at the airport and taken me home and let me sleep off my jet lag (laughs) until I've been able to find another apartment, you know, Mm -hmm. and then get settled in. My last portal family, poor family, it took me six weeks to find an apartment. So they, they let me stay in their spare bedroom for that long. Um, I've had a similar experience with my travel as well. Um, when I came back from Africa, I was living on friends' couches, my mother's house, I think my sister's house at one point, um, for probably about a month and a half until I was able to find a place as well. And it's it's like a starting over again every time. It is. 
But when you're in a, when you do it in a foreign environment, that's part of the adventure. It's true. That's part. That's mm-hmm. part of turning Maslow's hierarchy of needs on its head. <laughs> yeah. Where just buying a can of peas in local stores and an amazing achievement. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's a self-actualized event. Whereas you come back to the U.S. and it's kind of bureaucratic red tape. It's like oh, and it's anxious. Well, and then when you're like looking for a, a home in what you would consider your home, it that's when you can really feel homeless. Exactly. You have been in the Peace Corps. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so I, I joined the Peace Corps after I had worked uh, in a couple of different venues abroad. Joining the Peace Corps, at the time I joined the Peace Corps in 2000, you could choose your country. Mm. And the Peace Corps Mm -hmm. has a really good um, support system that I really liked. Of course, you don't make any money. There's nothing, you can't really save any money as a Peace Corps volunteer. Whereas other ESL teaching gigs, you can probably make quite good money, whether it's in South Korea or Japan or... Saudi Arabia, which I've also worked in as a teacher. But the Peace Corps, I really I really felt supported by the training, the language training, mm. the cultural training, the uh, placement in a, in a local home, which provides an amazing experience to learn about the culture. And then the medical support. And, um, yeah, I... I really enjoy, I was really really grateful too that the Peace Corps at the time I was in it was in former Soviet countries, mm-hmm. and so my I've I've worked in several countries, but it's it's been a really interesting um, layering on previous experience. I started in the Czech Republic, which was a former communist country. And then I went to Kazakhstan, which mm-hmm. is a former communist country, and I learned Russian instead of Czech, which is a Slavic language as well. So, and then I went to Ukraine, and I've been in Armenia and Georgia, and I, for a while I was in Russia, not in the Peace Corps. So every turn of that spiral built mm-hmm. on previous experience. It wasn't, it wasn't completely new culturally mm. or linguistically or historically. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to see the, the similarities and mm-hmm. the differences between the cultures and how they've dealt with uh, Sovietization and Russification and maintained their own culture and language. That's been so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Tell me one specific experience that... Builds during... on what I just said? Yeah. Okay. So one comes to mind... Um, So from 2015 to 2018, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the country of Armenia. And when you very first come to the country, you're placed in a host family for the three-month training period. Mm -hmm. So I was in the living room with my host sister. Um, So I'm in my mid-50s at that point, and then she's, you know, early 30s. And a Soviet-era romantic comedy comes on the television. (laughs) And we both start quoting lines from that movie to each other in Russian. And that was just an amazing feeling of um, 
kind of being home. That connectedness. Out of all of the foreignness. Yeah, that connectedness mm-hmm. with that film, that text, and sharing our appreciation and understanding and knowledge of that text with each other. You know, it would be like, and I've had this in, Eng- in English when volunteers have sat around a table and quoted lines from Young Frankenstein, <laughs> because we all loved the movie, Young Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. And so we're all quoting, we're all throwing lines back and forth to each other and laughing and appreciating, you know, that text. And so that, that was amazing. And if I hadn't learned Russian and if I hadn't become a fan of Soviet era, you know, romantic comedies, which they're just wonderful, then I wouldn't have that to share with this 30-year-old Armenian woman. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how humor can, can kind of provide that connection. That kind of brings me to your piece. So Tincture of Gaul, it has this kind of dark humor to it. You have this wonderful witty wordplay. Where did the inspiration lie behind this piece? What inspired you? Well, of course, your prompt Mm -hmm. was to write a recipe for something abstract. Mm -hmm. And then you you gave the example of a feeling, perhaps, Mm -hmm. right? Not limiting this prompt to a feeling, but as an example of something you could do. And I remember my first impulse was, oh... I'd have to do a positive feeling, and I felt straight-jacketed. I felt like, oh, that wouldn't be authentic. No, I don't want to do a positive feeling. I mean, it's not written in the prompt. It was just it was where my mind first went. And then I was surprised at how unappealing that thought was. And I thought, well, then I can go in the opposite direction, and I can make a very negative thing. And I got really happy about that. <laughs> So, yeah, maybe maybe that's a good question is what was so off-putting about writing about something maybe that is a feel-good feeling or why did you feel like it kind of stunted your creativity and you felt like you needed to go in another direction with it? So I, I do appreciate those positive reinforcements. I don't want to... Um, Downplay them. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to... Um, be negative about the value of positivity. But sometimes it can be um, too forced and too much, right? There's a balance. A balance needs to be struck in everything. And, and I think when I realized that I could make it negative, it acknowledged, I gave myself permission and acknowledgement for what ha- what can be quite negative thinking in my own, you know, mental world. And that was just really nice. Hmm. It's like I can acknowledge it and embrace it and welcome it and then play with it and deal with it and transform it. Because I think when you first try to push something away, you reject it, it's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. It's just going to hide and then poke its nose out and, you know... (laughs) poke at you later. You, you, you can't right. deal with it, things like that. You have to really embrace everything. So is there a favorite section or part of it that you really enjoyed writing or playing around with? Well, I, I wrote 
I wrote it relatively quickly, but then I went back to expand it. And then I went back and thought to myself, okay, it is a story. It needs an arc. It kind of needs sec- sections. It needs to go somewhere and develop somehow. Yes. And with a recipe, I mean, it kind of gives you that that formula where it's you talk about what the ingredients are and then you talk about how to make it. So that kind of gives you a structure to work with as well. Right. But it does go from a kind of soup to a more concentrated <laughs> tincture. tincture Simmer for, what is it, 15, 15 years? years. Yeah. I like that part. It, it started out just as um, I was thinking about how I use my uh, rotisserie chicken carcass, trying to make a chicken broth out of that. Um, so it started with that. It's like, well, how do I do that? Okay, I do that and that and that. Ah, you know? uh-huh. And then I thought, yeah, but let's let's go further and make it more concentrated. And then the whole 15 years thing and then just longer. And then, yeah, the, over the years. So not only 15 years, but like the next 15 years, you can dip into it and drop it into your experiences. <laughs> right, and continue to use it and come back to when you need to find that, that wonderful feeling. Exactly. <laughs> you do such a wonderful job bringing a lightness in, a, in that humor and, um, yeah, that, that sense of play with it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your prompt. That's great. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Well, thank you again for sitting down with me today. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to say you're welcome again. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode. If you are an older adult looking to be inspired, encouraged, and nurtured in your creative self-expression, have a friend or family member that would like to participate and learn more about our programming, please visit us at songbirdcreativecompany.com or email us at songbirdcreativecompany at gmail.com. All of the music on this podcast is by singer, songwriter, Carrie Yost. You can hear more of her music on Facebook at Carrie Yost. Will you remember all of my stories? Will you remember the song the red pool sings and I'm carrying all of these memories? I'll send them to you.